Hey there, how you doing today? Come on over to the Radio Backyard Fence, because I need your help. I want you to hear what a listener wrote me, and one phrase in her email just jumped out at me. She called us in October. She had been to Founders Week at Moody Bible Institute, and it brought back a lot of good memories for her. But the question I have for you is perhaps something your parents did, or maybe you have experienced as a parent. You made a rule, you started a tradition, you made a choice, and the result was that it was the best thing you could have done. Let's talk about today at Chris Fabry Live, just you and me at the uh, program as we conduct this from the heart, for the heart, to the heart conversation online at chrisfavorylive.org. Thanks to our team, Ryan McConaughey doing all things technical. Trisha's our producer, Gabby T's in the chair. Laura will be answering your calls. And since it's Friday, that's right, it's time for the fabulous Fabry Friday Sigh. Here's what it does. One, we oxygenate your blood. Two, we get your endorphins going. Three, we raise your serotonin level. Four, we promote lymphatic drainage. And five, we stimulate your parasympathetic system. That's why we call it the five lung languages. We also stimulate your vagus nerve. We help you release acetylcholine. And don't forget what it does to cortisol dissipation. Taking four seconds of air through your nose right now. Hold it four seconds. Thousand one, thousand. And then as you release that air through your mouth, push on the left side of your rib cage to get rid of all that bad carbon dioxide. Let's give a week before Thanksgiving side. Let's give a don't forget to thaw your turkey side. And don't forget the stuffing and cranberry sauce and those great big paper plates. I always buy the big paper plates so that at the end of the meal you don't have to clean the dishes. Am I warming the planet? Give a sigh for the change of seasons. I can feel it in the air, can't you? Crisp air, wood in the fireplace. Soon we'll go out on the hill and look for an evergreen to cut and drag into the house and put ornaments on. One less tree to soak up the carbon dioxide. Are we warming the planet by having a Christmas tree? <laughs> I think I found a pattern. The fabulous Fabry Friday size brought to you by Chicken Noodle Soup. All rights reserved. Uh, I have a feeling somebody who has never called is going to call today. I got a voicemail uh, last week from a caller who said, hey, I was on your program and I forgot to tell you. You said that there'd be somebody who would call who'd never called. I forgot to say on the air that I'd never called before. Maybe this program topic is going to move you. Some of our best conversations are ignited by some other program that we have, conversation we conduct. And then the next program is kind of an extension of that. So today, I'm going to take you back to October when Carolyn called. There was emotion in her voice when I asked listeners to fill in the blank. I I said, uh, tell me, how would you finish this sentence? I never thought I would blank. And Carolyn called. It was a Friday during the Founders Week. Carolyn called and she said, I never thought I would get to attend Founders Week. And she, she did. Her daughter needed some help. Her daughter lives in Chicago. Carolyn's from New Hampshire. And her voice was shaking about her excitement to be in Tory Gray Auditorium and being with the students from around the world who come to Moody to study. And after she got home, she wrote me this note. Dear Chris, thank you for letting me share the the joy of attending Founders Week. There was more to the story, but God had me share what I did. I'm sorry my voice kept cracking. I'm a bit emotional. And Carolyn, I love that. (laughs) I love because, well, you'll hear. Here's more to the story as to why it was so special to actually be there at Moody. I started to listen 
moving as a 19-year-old to eastern Iowa, where we heard WDLM. It was the late 1970s. I could go on and on about the programs that changed me, but obviously Dr. Stoll, who was was who I heard for so many years. And uh, Dr. Joe Stoll was speaking that evening when she attended Founders Week. She says, I, I felt I knew Dr. Stoll and his wife, Marty. Then in 1999, so we go from the 70s to 1999, we moved to New Hampshire on the taxi ride bringing us up from Baston for the interview. The driver had WVNH on the radio, another Moody affiliate. (laughs) I then knew we were moving and it would be okay. So it is still such an important part of my faith walk. So the program, we could do a program on just, you know, where have you heard Moody in the world, you know, that, that you've gone. But that's not this program. This program is different. Here's the crux. As we raised our children The rule was only Christian radio before school in the morning. After school, they could listen to what they wanted. We're talking about kids in the 80s and 90s. Oh, (laughs) there were days I was very unpopular. And then she says, a few years back, my son, now a father, said, Mom, that was the best thing you could have done for us. And she writes, tears. So there's more of why Wednesday still brings tears to my eyes. Living in Iowa those years, busy with kids, activities, living in New Hampshire, flying to Illinois in February. I was so excited when I first learned that they had changed it to October. Then to have the Lord open the dates, the need of my daughter, she needed help with kids. And it just all fell into place. It was amazing. Only God, she said. So, Carolyn, thank you for that story. And I wrote her back and said, thank you. But that phrase that she used just jumped out at me. And I put it in my little thing, idea thing, and <laughs> that I still don't have a box for. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to bring it to you today. Have you ever said that to someone? That was the best thing you could have done for us. That was the best thing you could have done for me. Does that story strike a nerve? with you, 877-548-3675. That's what I want to do today. The best thing you could have done for me. And I think a lot of people, it will be a parent-child thing that's going on, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, it, it could be that you're the parent, you're trying to do the best you can for your kids, and you've, you made a decision. And it doesn't have to be a Christian radio in the morning. That's, that's not the point. The point is you've made a rule or you've made a choice about where you're going to live, and you hope you're, and your kids don't want to go there, and you, or, or you're in ministry, and your kids don't want to be in the fishbowl of the ministry, but you, you really feel called by God, and you're hoping one day they will say to you, that was the best thing you could have done for us. 877-548-3675. Mom, that was the best thing you could have done for us. I had a journey, and I was thinking about this. I could tell you about my parents, but I, uh, the, the uh, off-the-beaten-path thing that I thought of was a journalism professor who was a, uh, Dr. Davis, was a stickler for misspelled words. And he'd been there, you know, since the cavemen. <laughs> he'd been there a long time. And I just wondered if he could even see, you know, because he was probably in his 50s. I mean, if you're 18, 19, you're thinking that these people are so old. 
one spelling error, one typo on a story that you turned in was a letter grade. So you could have had written the best story in the world, and if you misspelled or you uh, transposed two letters, you go from getting an A to a B. Let me tell you what that did. That that made community a lot more important to me. And there was one friend I had, Bryce. He was a print journalism major. I was a broadcast journalism major. So I found me a print journalism major. And I can't tell you how many letter grades Bryce saved me because he saw what I couldn't see in reading over that copy. But that teacher instilled this desire not to have typos, not to have misspelled words in my copy. It was invaluable. Now, if you pick up one of my books and you find one, it wasn't my fault, okay? <laughs> that was the best thing you could have done for us to, to hold us to a higher standard for that teacher. So maybe it was a parent, you were the child, maybe you're the parent, and you have a child and you try to do something. It could even happen in a marriage relationship. There could be somebody who did something really hard in your life. You know, couples separate. And instead of it being the worst thing that ever happened, it was the best thing. I'll, I'll stop. What, what was the best thing you could have done for us? 877-548-3675. I put the question up just a few minutes ago on Facebook, too. So if you don't get a chance to call and you want to answer there, you can do that as well. Or call 877-548-3675. He'll be first in line. I'm ready right now. That was the best thing you could have done for us. Ever said that? Ever had that said to you? 877-548-3675. Maybe the best thing was something you weren't given. I wanted a phone. I want a phone. I want a phone. Didn't get a phone that I wanted, and it was the best thing. Maybe the best thing you could have done was teach your kids to read or model it, model a reading, read in front of them, read to them, And then when they say, I'm bored, go read a book. (laughs) And they began a reading life. Uh, Debbie posts this on Facebook. This is really good. I made my boys a huge box fort in our basement. It was about 15 foot by six foot. There was a secret room, cubbies for hidden messages, and a couple of holes in the roof where they could flip up and look out. (laughs) That sounds like... I would have stayed there the whole time. It lasted several years. My guys are adults, but they all agree that was the best thing I ever made for them. That's really good. Debbie, that's exactly it. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, Rena is in West Palm Beach, Florida. Rena, thanks for calling. Tell me your story. Hi, Chris. Um, a piece of my story is my mom, when I first got married, I guess I'd been married just a few years, and, of course, those first few years, you get a rough time in your marriage. And I was ready to leave my husband. I told my mom about it. And she said, I tell you what, you can walk out the front door and there will be another woman walking in the back door. And that piece of information, that piece of advice followed me the whole time we were married. 
we didn't we stopped having problems, of course, but um, that marriage lasted almost 30 years. My mom and my husband have since passed, uh, and now I am telling other people the same thing. Yeah. The, the best thing she could have said to you at that point then was to hang in there, right? Yes, that's right, and that's what I did. Yeah. Rena, God bless you, friend. Thank you for being the very first up today. There's Rena. Uh, Jennifer is in Tennessee, Spring City. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? Hi, Chris. Well, I thought of a lot of things, but the one that jumped out to me right away was my dad forced me to learn to drive standard. So I had to learn how to drive a stick vehicle. We had a 1964 International Harvester Scout, which had a steering (laughs) wheel like a bus and a huge gear shift. And I just didn't want to do it. I was not going to do it. And he said, well, you're not taking your road test until you can drive standard and automatic. And it took my breaking a rear axle on the uh, the scout (laughs) going up a hill because I didn't know how to downshift. But you know what? I can drive anything now. And when he, when we spoke at his memorial service, I told that story and I said, you know, I hated it at the time. I was angry. He would pick me up from my little part-time job in the evening and say, you're not getting home unless you drive. I'm like, oh, <laughs> please don't make me do this. Because, you know, first gear is really rough. Downshifting, yes. you know, is really rough. And three out of our four kids know how to drive stick shift. Really? And a couple of them actually prefer it. Why do you think he made you show. why do you think he made you do that? Well, my older brother, you know, he could he he figured everything out right away and I was the next one up to get uh, a driver's license and he's like, "Well, we have this standard vehicle and you should just know how to drive both." And I said, "Well, I'm never going to own one, so I don't think I need to know how to drive one." <laughs> and he said, "No, you, I want you to have this skill." And you know, it was one of the best things he ever did for me because I can drive anything now. Yeah. Well, and the competence, you know, and the confidence that you gain from that, from him saying that no, this is important. I feel the same way about cursive. You know, I don't care if it goes the way of all yeah. flesh. I want you to, I, I want to be able to write in cursive and to be able to read that rather than it looking like hieroglyphics. But Oh, you're you're bringing back, and I bet you there's somebody else who's who's listening to the radio saying that's exactly what my dad did. I'll tell you the opposite <laughs> story, Jennifer. My daughter came to me and said, "There was this little toy. To- she wanted to buy a car. There's a Toyota Tercel in the neighborhood, and they're leaving. They're going to Canada, and they want to sell this car, but it was a four or five speed." And she didn't, I hadn't taught mm-hmm. her how to drive. I taught her on an automatic. And I said, well, and we're living in Colorado and it's up one hill and down the other. Hill. And I just had, mm-hmm. yeah, I just had all of these, you know, no, it's you. Uh, and then getting on a hill with the light and, blah, 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 and I discouraged it and she wouldn't yep. listen to me <laughs> and she went out and learned on her own. I think I, I taught well, her, you know, her. how to, yeah. But, but today she can drive a stick just like, uh, other, other, my kids can as well. And you, and and you can, you do it without even thinking about it now. It's just so, I should say automatic, but it, it is, it's just <laughs> absolutely second nature. You know, you start to hear that engine, you know, you have to downshift and 
Yes. And I just think it's a really good skill. And I guess they call it the millennial carjacking uh, insurance because <laughs> most millennials can't do it. So you try to get carjacked and you've got a stick vehicle. They're stuck. They can't drive it. No, wait a minute. When they make it, do electric vehicles, do they, are they have uh, four speed, five speed? Ryan, what do you say to that? <laughs> no. I don't know. Of course. No, that's got to be. It's got to be automatic. They, Jennifer, thank you. Uh, here's one other story that you've just sparked in my mind. I was writing a book for kids years ago, and it was about uh, racing, NASCAR racing. And they let me go to the Richard Petty driving experience. And you go to the the racetrack. It was the Chicago Speedway. And to the Richard Petty deal, and you get in there, and every, you're wearing the jumpsuit and all of this. And the first question they ask is, how many of you know how to drive a stick? You know, how many can you, can you do a four-speed? And uh, we all kind of look at each other, and everybody raises their hand. And the fellow, <laughs> fellow felt, well, we're going to find out, aren't we? <laughs> and I did okay. Except when I went around, I got sick. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I have no idea how those people do that. Okay. That's Jennifer's story. Bob is in Sun City Center, Florida. Hello there, Bob. How are you? I'm doing fantastic today, Chris. Thanks for this subject. It really brought back, made me think a little bit deeper. Ah, well, I'm, I, uh, I can't my, wait to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that my dad did was uh, faithfully, study the Bible during the week. He, he was a hard worker. He didn't have any great kind of a job or, but he, he would come home from work and sit down in this big old chair with a, with his Bible and a three ring binder and make notes from Sunday school. And he had a great teacher. His name was Herman Braunland, dates way back. And, uh, that stuck with me, that picture of him sitting in that chair when he could have been doing a million and one other things. And to this day, it has had repercussions because when I accepted Christ at 27, all of a sudden, all that memory of my dad and his diligently studying the Bible flooded in and made me want to read too and find out what he was looking at. And so it's really helped with me and my children as well. So you, I was telling, uh, go ahead. Do you still have that three-ring binder? As a matter of fact, I do, and what you just made me think of was I need to pass that down to my children, which are now grown, and they have their own children and grandchildren, believe it or not. <laughs> what a treasure. So, yeah. yeah just his is. model. Is. Okay, okay, another question. So it was, sure. you know, if you study the Bible diligently and you you read the Bible and you, you study, you know, you're doing this in front of your kids, they're all going to see— you just said it was not until you're 27, really, that you began a relationship with Christ. Why do you think it took you that amount of time? You know, I've thought about that often. Um, we have our own bent natures, and it's not until God actually reaches down and says, okay, it's time, because it took me that long to realize that I really was as sinful as the Bible said I was. I always thought because I went to church and I had a lot of head knowledge about all the Bible stories and the flannel graphs that, you know, okay, I was all right. But it wasn't until I really started being shown by the Holy Spirit that I wasn't all right, that 
I had to really start searching. And, you know, the funny thing is, Chris, I would go to church and hear the gospel preached and hear the invitation given. And I fought that for I don't know how many weeks. My hands were on the back of the pew and my knuckles were as white as sheets. I would not let go and raise my hand. But one day the Holy Spirit just said, it's time. And I did. And it was like a key was turned that opened up my head knowledge and put it down in my heart. And God just changed my life. 100% 100% complete. And it wasn't anything I did. It wasn't anything was works. It was just God's grace that saved me. That's going to be encouraging to somebody, Bob, who's listening, who's been praying for a while. And they, I thought we did everything that we could, you know, and why hasn't? And God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. <laughs> and <laughs> and until you are adopted, until that work is done, uh, you keep praying for that son or daughter or friend or person in the neighborhood, whoever, um, that's going to encourage somebody. Bob, thank you for calling and telling. And and your so your answer is the best thing he could have done was just model that in front of you of how important it was to read the Word, to study the Word, to be interested in what the Word says, right? That's, that's exactly right, exactly right. Yeah. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm a card-carrying club of the uh, eight, uh, 6 o'clock club for Kurt and Kate in the morning on Moody Bible. <laughs> Love that program, so I'm not usually up this time in the afternoon. <laughs> I am glad to hear it. Kurt and Kate are two of my favorite people, and uh, he's mentioning the, the morning program, Kurt and Kate. And you, you may have a different morning program in your area. I'm sure you do, but Kurt and Kate are special. There's Bob. What about you? The best thing you could have done for us, the best thing you did for me, Barbara in Illinois. Hi, Barbara. Go right ahead. Hi, Chris. Oh, I love this. I could listen to this all afternoon, listening to people talk about their stories. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, My story is um, about my mom, and she's taught me many things. Um, She's gone now to be with the Lord. But um, back in 1968, she ran independently on a ticket for a King County board Ticket, and she ran independently against a an incumbent. Um, my mother, who was really a nobody, um, she won by one vote, and so she took us, my brother and sister and myself. She took us out of school. I was in, I was ten, fifth grade. I just aged myself, but okay. Um, and she took us out of school. We went down to the courthouse, and I can still remember sitting in that courthouse and watching them recount. Now this is by hand the votes. And I remember a red bag that they were pulling these votes out of, a red velvet bag. I, <laughs> that's what was going on in that county back then. Um, and they pulled, they, they went through, they did the recount because that was what the incumbent had ordered. And she did win by one vote. Wow. So what that taught me is that, you know, I mean, from that day, it stuck with me that, you know, we have a wonderful right and freedom to vote, but it's really up to each of us to do that. And that one vote can make a difference. Yes. Bingo. Bingo. And you yeah. learned that in the, the school of going to the courthouse. And, you know, d- d- democracy is a wonderful thing. Actually, a republic is a wonderful thing if you can keep it. And that's what we're struggling yeah. with these days is, are we going to keep this or it, it, will it go into the dustbin of history? And uh, I'm glad that your mom won by one vote. I wonder I wonder whose vote it was that pushed her over <laughs> at the edge. <laughs> well, and you know, and she took us out of school to go 
for the day to go out to the courthouse. And back in 1968, that was unheard of. You didn't, you didn't take your children out of school for any reason. They were at school Monday through Friday. So right. that was important for, for her, enough for her to make sure that we saw that and witnessed that. Yeah. What, a, what a gift to you. I'm glad your mom won. And uh, a lot of years ago, absolutely, but still rolling around Barbara's soul. And she said, I could listen to these stories all afternoon long. So could I. And I've got room for you, 877-548-3675. The best thing you could have done for us is our topic. Could have been a parent, could have been somebody else. I don't have time to be fair to somebody else uh, before we take a break, but let me read a couple of these from Facebook. It says, oh, yeah. My mom, Joan, made sure that we didn't just attend church multiple times every week, says Kim, but that we all got fully involved through service there. Her example continues to this day as she helps prepare communion for our large church every month, gives ride to church, rides to church for people who need them, makes blankets for unwed mothers, etc., even though she's in pain and could back away from those things after all the faithful years. It's a joy to see her children and grandchildren in many areas of service in their churches. Um, Doing what she had to do, Angela says, my mother, doing what she had to do to get clean and sober. That is the best thing she could have done for us. God is so good to have walked with her through it, redeeming and restoring her. Oh, these are good. And it's going to get even better when we come back from a quick break. Here's the number, 877-548-3675, where you can answer on Facebook the best thing you could have done for us, mom, dad, son, daughter, more straight ahead. best thing you could have done is our topic today at the Radio Backyard Fence. More of your calls here in just a moment. But I'm thinking about the opposite. What's the worst thing I could have done? The worst decision I've made. And for some who are listening or for some that you know, it was being in a situation in a real pickle relationally and not being able to make the having a hard decision about an unplanned pregnancy. What do I do here? I could just get rid of the problem and pay this, and it would all go away. Well, I've talked to, with enough women and men who have said, we went that route, and I feel it what, like it was the worst thing that I've ever done in my life. Now, there are other, honestly, in, in today's culture, there, there are others who will say, no, no, it freed me up and I could live my life and, and ever, it's a wonderful thing. But for many people, it is a haunting thing. Perhaps the best decision, the best thing you could have done for that child is to choose life. Enter CareNet. You ever heard of them? They are a pro-abundant life, gospel-infused ministry. They care for the unborn They also care for the mother. They care for the father, trying to make this hard decision. 1,200 pregnancy centers around the country, hundreds of thousands of men and women every year with free ultrasounds, free pregnancy tests, coaching, counseling, giving material support if you decide to keep the child, education. I said free, 
but of course it's not free. They have to pay for that, but that's where CareNet comes along. Click that green button at the website, chrisfabrylive.org. Click CareNet there. Either you need to be encouraged by some of the things that you'll find there, some of the articles that have been written by Roland or others on the staff, or somebody you know will need to hear about CareNet and you'll think, oh yeah, that's right. Those are the people who come alongside others to help them make that decision. Click CareNet at chrisfabrylive.org. All right, a a number of people are answering on uh, Facebook. Thank you. Let's go to North Carolina and Sharice. Hi, Sharice. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing better because you called, though. (laughs) Thank you. Tell me what's on your heart. I am glad. Oh, I can't wait to share this. Um, It's interesting that today is the one year, marks one year that my mother went on to heaven. And at the time that my mother was sick, getting a little um, declining in her age at 82, I began to take care of her more and more while I was on dialysis, kidney failure, for those who are not familiar. And I was, you know, there with her by her side, and I was actually right there when she took her last breath. And about a week and a half later, after her burial, I was laying on the couch in my home, kind of just bringing everything back, and I received a phone call. And it was the transplant unit. And their first question to me was, how fast can you get to the hospital? Because we may have a kidney match for you. I said six minutes. I went on to make the local news. And I'm going to say to them what I'm saying to you and everyone who's listening. My mom went to heaven and petitioned for me to get a transplant. Because the Bible says, honor your mother and father, and your days shall be long upon the earth. Yes. (laughs) Oh, Sharice, six minutes from the hospital. So it happened that day that you received that transplant? Yes. Wow. Yes. And here you are. One year later, on 1130 at night. Yes. What a gift. That was the best thing you could have been given, right? The best thing that I could have been given, and I just want to believe it's because of the care and love I have for my mom and how I know that heaven and the words of the Lord are real. And this is the one-year anniversary as I speak to you, man of God. <laughs> Sharice, God bless you. And and we have to say there was someone who made a sacrifice to, you know, not willingly necessarily because they probably were passing away at the time when you were getting that call, right? Yes, 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 very much so. They were actually, they had me in waiting until he took his last heartbeat. A young, young, vibrant man who had Hmm. um, pre-requested to have all his organs donated. So I am a woman of a certain age. I'm in my 50s, and I have a 23-year-old kidney in my body. Wow. Cherise, thank you for sharing that. And we had a, a phone call the other day about uh, the whole idea of, of trans, not transplant, but donation of organs. And what do you do with that? Well, you, you just listen to Cherise, listen to her voice and what's going on in her life one year since. Renee says, my daughters, for years, I'd wondered if I should have worked outside the home because we were on a very limited budget 
and if I'd have gone to work, we could have afforded more things for them. However, recently as young adults, they both reassured me that they were so thankful I chose to stay home. Friends from school told them stories of how lonely and scary it was to have to go home to an empty house. They knew mom would always be, and now, uh, always be there, and now that sense of regret is no longer an issue in, she says, in this mama. Riza in Allentown, no, I'm sorry, Riza in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Hi, Riza. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Have you ever called before? I don't remember talking with you. No, it's a first time for me. <laughs> Ta-da! You win the gold star. <laughs> Thank you. Why did you call today? Um, it's Friday. I'm not, usually I work 9 to 5, but Fridays um, it's till 3. And I just happened to turn on the radio uh, when I was coming out and listening to the amazing stories. I, I couldn't help myself but wanting to share. Well, you've got the floor. Go right ahead. Um, So uh, at 17, I wanted to join the military uh, army of all things. I went to my parents um, and I let them know, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And my parents were like, that's the worst thing you could possibly do. Um, And being stubborn and 17 and not really knowing much about life, I said, I'll wait till I turn 18 and then I'll join without your permission. And that's exactly what I did, Chris. Um, And years, about two years after that, um, I have a sit down with my parents and they were like, remember when we said it was the worst thing you could have done? Um, We were wrong. And I I wanted to know why. And they just said the daughter that returned from the army wasn't the stubborn, not willing daughter to, you know, obey her mother and father it was a very different daughter that we got back, and I would love to think and honestly do believe that it's because while I was in the Army, that's when I met Jesus, and it just became something so real to me, so beautiful, and um, the daughter that they got back, now it's like, this is the best thing my daughter has ever done for us, and we thought it'd be the worst. So. <laughs> that just makes me <laughs> smile and cry at the same time, Riza. So. So you went into the army, and and was it in basic training? Was it where, where did you yeah, encounter it was Jesus? Basic training, Fort Jackson, South Carolina. This was uh, 2006, so we were at um, war against Iraq, war against terrorism. So we were at tours when I decided. And my parents were like, "You're 18. You should be going to college. You're a young, bright woman." And I I just saw myself as someone who wanted to travel the world and saw that we didn't have enough funds and the Army would allow me or provide me with that. And instead, I really never left Fort Jackson, but I did get to meet one who knows the world in and out because he created it, and Mm. that was amazing. (laughs) Who shared that story with you then? Who shared you about Jesus? Was it a fellow soldier? Uh, Yeah, a battle buddy. A battle buddy said, yeah, I'm here, but uh, I know that I have bigger plans for me. And um, I just, he was just sharing, it was a, it was co-ed, so I had a battle buddy, he was a, a gentleman. Um, and he just said, yeah, I'm here because I know Jesus has bigger plans, stuff that I can do and share the word here while I'm serving my country. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know, like, who is Jesus? Like, what is this? <laughs> and he answered my questions as best as he possibly could because he was um, 18. I mean, he grew up in a Baptist church, um, and he had a lot of well, more knowledge than me, but he was young as well. So, Yeah. So they, your parents got a different 
daughter when you came back. Now, that was 2006. Yes. This is 2023. Um, yes. where, and you're in Allentown. Is that right? What What are you doing yes. now? Um, so I am a happily married woman with three sons of my very own. Um, and I work and I do attend my local Baptist church. And I am trying to every day reflect that beautiful Jesus image that was given to me. I try to make that a, a thing for my boys so that mm. one day they can fully say by grace that they are saved. That, Riza, that is a, just a fact. I, I, I did not anticipate somebody calling in saying, I went in the military and my parents yeah. said it was the best thing I could have done. You know, because there are people who, who go into the military and it's a really hard thing and they, and they you know, they don't have the same story that you've given us here today. But I want to thank you for your service. Thank you for for doing that. Thank you for saying yes to Jesus, and then doing that each day with with your your kids, and taking the time you know coming out of work today and taking the time to call us. Really special, Riza. Thank you. Thank you. And I want you to hear in her voice. There is a there's a sense of freedom. And a sense of completion there. And and isn't it interesting that the soldier that she served, this battle buddy that she had, he didn't know everything. <laughs> he didn't know the, all the answers, all the apologetics about, well, why is there suffering in the world? If God is this and why did that? And do this, that, it's like, that. I, I met this man who changed my life because he did what I could not do. Because if what the Bible says is right, you and I are hopelessly alienated from a holy God because we're not. <laughs> we're not holy. And every, pretty much everybody will acknowledge at some point, at some level, yeah, I've made mistakes in my life. We don't know how unholy we are until you see the holiness of God. But to think that he has given himself for us to reconcile himself, us to himself, Rather than us, every other religion basically is, here's what you need to do to climb the hill in order to be good enough to get with whatever God or gods you are trying to reach. Christianity is the only religion that says God condescended for you and me to live the perfect life, to give himself in our place to take our punishment on himself and then rise again so that we could have that new life, so that we could have that relationship with God that we can't have because of our sin. He did that. So there's nothing in us. It's by grace you've been saved, not of works. You know, there's nothing I can boast about. God did it all for me. And so I can rest in that assurance that Jesus paid it all and sing the hymn with me and live the life that Riza was just talking about. And if that's what you want, uh, let me give you a phone number, 800-600-9624. If you text the word gospel to that number, G-O-S-P-E-L, text the word gospel to that number, 800-600-9624. You'll get a text with some of the scripture that I just referred to, and more, and you'll see how you can begin a relationship 
with God through Jesus who paid it all for you and for me. There are more stories straight ahead. This is Chris Fabry Live on Moody Radio. Remaining moments here on Chris Fabry Live. Real quickly before we get back to your calls, uh, we need your help at the back fence. We're about halfway through the month, about halfway to our goal for November. And our thank you this month is a story from my heart to yours. November's Alzheimer's Awareness Month. Didn't know that when the publisher decided to put this out in November, but the main character in this story, Grayson Hayes, is struggling to remember, he's struggling to come to himself. He's struggling to remember the mystery and, and who done it back in his hometown. He's going to go back there and he's going to solve this mystery before he loses his memory. And so the book is The Unraveling of Grayson Hayes's Life and what you learn about him that surprises you, might shock you, and the love that the people around him have for him. Um, I'm getting good feedback from it, but I'd love to put it in your hands. You tell me what you think. Give a gift of any size, chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org, or 866-95-FABRY, 866-953-2279. Would love to put this in your hands as a thank you for your support of the Radio Backyard Fence. Becky is in Idaho. Becky, why did you call today? Hi, I would like to honor my dad who did wonderful things, but um, one thing especially I remember is that he asked all of us children, and there were seven in the family, to uh, earn part of our money to buy our school clothes. He was a hardworking man, but he just could not uh, buy everything that we all needed all the time for school, and so we all picked starting. I started before first grade picking strawberries, beans, cherries, prunes, everything. And the first year he matched my money, but from then on we were on our own. And uh, my mom would help us order things out of catalogs for school. But uh, it taught us all responsibility, and I really, I really appreciate him doing that. It wasn't easy at the time, but later we all agreed that it was a good thing. Yes, and and you learned. Did part of it make you feel like I really am important here? I am contributing to the whole? Oh, yes, totally. Because we all we all knew that we were helping him out. That was very clear. Yeah. I'm so glad you got through today. Um, and there's there's probably somebody listening who has that kind of memory who couldn't call in today because it's, you know, it's a little painful. Um, let me go to Naples, Florida. Roz is on the line. Hi, Roz. Go right ahead. Yay, I made it. You <laughs> so, made it. <laughs> to give you context. Hi. Hi, Chris. Um, to give you context, I am a Haitian woman, and so I'm 32 years old. I grew up in a typical strict Haitian family, and so sleepovers were not a thing, right? So friends would have birthday parties, and they'd want to invite me over, and my mom would always say, you can you can stay all you want, but you're coming to sleep at your house. And I was like, Mom, come on, let me spend the night. Like, come on, let me. She's like, no. And she was always adamant. And so one time, my brother and I got invited to go camping with a neighbor across the street, which we knew very well. And my family, my parents knew. And so my mom said yes. And we were like, whoa, mom said yes. 
all right. Woo-hoo. And so the family even took us to go get, um, pick out our own snacks and everything that we wanted to get. And then on the last, at the last minute, Chris, my mom, my dad, actually, my mom told my dad, my dad said, no, you are not going. We were so mad. We were so mad. We were so mad. And for years, me and my brother would reminisce and we'd be like, man, do you remember that time they, like, they, they, they bamboozled us? They took away our camping trip. But now, being 32 years old, I look back and I'm like, wow, God, how many things did you save my brother and I from? Because we look back at the, our friends that we were friends with at the time and we would have been spending the night at their house. They're just, their lives are just, um, they're messy and um, they're just fully entrenched in all kinds of sin. And they had dysfunctional households. And looking back, we were young and we didn't realize that, but our parents did and my mom did. And she, and and even if she didn't know, I the Lord gave her discernment to say no. And so I'm sure with the camping trip, she wavered and said yes, but then the Lord told her no. And so um, I, I'm just so grateful because I, I have, I'm a teacher now and I, I have a lot of students who were molested and all of that. So I know it's wrapping up, but for the you parents out there who you think that you're too strict, um, trust God. That's a good wrap up, Roz, and a reminder that, yeah, your kids don't know what they don't know. And parents can sometimes be too sheltering and, and too uh, not let them, you know, ride a bike, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. I, I get that. But there are times when you just know this is not a good idea. And to be able to say no and stand firm with that uh, is a real gift. But it's not just a gift for you. And you're not just protecting your child. You are telling your child, I'm doing this because I love you and I care for you. And I see that same thing in the scriptures. What God says for us when he lays down his his rules for living, this is not to keep us from having fun and going on a camping trip. This is for our own good, for our hearts, our lives, for our our souls as well. So I'll leave it there. Roz, thank you. And for those who are hanging on, we'll do this again, maybe in a, a slightly different way, and you can tell your story. Thank you for uh, joining us today. And uh, next week is Thanksgiving week. Be thinking this weekend about some things that you are thankful for. And if you get a chance to listen to Open Line, I get to be on the air for Dr. Michael Rodelnik tomorrow on Open Line in the morning. So you can listen to that right here on Moody Radio. And always remember, Chris Fabry Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.